All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. If you're just tuning in today, we are in part four of a series called First in Faith. Where we're not just talking about first states to ratify uh, constitutions or first things to happen in this world, but we're talking about the first when it comes to faith. And that is we're doing a study on the great character who is like kind of a mythical superhero figure when it comes to the Bible, and that is Abraham. And what we're seeing about Abraham, what we've seen over the past three weeks, is Abraham truly was first when it comes to faith. And when I say first, I mean first in two ways. First as far as greatest, but also first as far as first. Because he was the first one to show us what a life looks like when you take God at his word without having any reason to believe other than God said so. Abraham, we've already seen him leave his land. We've already seen him give up his family. We've already seen he's willing to part from anything, including his cousin, the land, whatever it may be, that would separate him from God. But here's the thing about Abraham that several of you should be thinking as I'm talking about how great Abraham is. All right, and last week we talked about how Abraham, I think the expression was against hope and hope believed. Okay, Abraham against logic, against everything he knew, he chose to believe. All right, and we talked about how our logic questions God, but Abraham allowed his faith to question logic. And the question that you should be asking, as someone came to me last week and said, he said, okay, but you know what? It was easy for Abraham. I say, why do you say easy for Abraham? Because God said it to him nice and clear. Like God said it to him very, very clearly. I want you to leave here, and I want you to go here. And the tendency is for us to think the same thing, that you know what? If God spoke to me that clearly, I would obey too. Like our problem is trying to decipher. And it's like, is this from God or is that from God? Does like God want me to take this job or does God want me to take that job? Am I supposed to end this relationship or continue this relationship? And the hard part for us is that we don't hear God's voice loud and clear like Abraham, that it isn't written in the clouds, that we don't have the thunder and lightning, we don't have the dreams like Joseph. Our problem is trying to decipher what's from God, what's from me, or what's from the devil, or what's from the bean burrito I ate last night. Like trying to figure out, is this truly what God wants me to do? That seems to be the hardest part. And that's what I wanna talk about a little bit here today. The answer to that problem that all of us face, because if we're honest, okay, this is the one thing, like if you ask me what's the number one question people ask me from all over is how do I know what God wants me to do? And people come to me and say, Father Anthony, I need you just for a minute. Never a minute, okay, just they start, the one minute is just the introduction, okay, there's one minute and they're gonna tell me this grand question of life. Should I do this or should I do this? And my answer is always the same. What's your name? Okay, like if I don't know your name, how in the world am I supposed to know? Like I'm struggling to figure out what God wants for me. I'm going to figure out what he wants for you from a five minute story. The answer to how to decipher God's voice from our, my own voice, from the voice of my friends versus the voice of God, the voice of, of myself versus the voice of God. The answer comes in a Hebrew word, which is tamim. Can you say that with me? Say tamim. Tamim. Not falafel, okay, that sounds close like to the Arabic word for falafel, tamim. And tamim is what you see in this verse right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And it's a verse that maybe you've struggled with at some point in time. Jesus says, therefore you shall be tamim, perfect, just as your father in heaven is perfect. And many of us look at this verse and we struggle with this verse. And we say, Father Anthony, 
How can I be perfect? Like this command here shows that God, like the bar is just too high. I can't be perfect. Well, maybe we have a misunderstanding of what perfect means. The word tamim here is translated perfect. Other places it's translated a little bit different. The true meaning of the word means perfect, but not perfect in the sense of no sin. That's what we think. We think perfect means never made any mistakes. Well, the problem is I read this verse, be perfect, and I'm like, well, it's too late because I already got marks on the record. And even if I didn't have any marks on the record, it's impossible for me to live the rest of my life and not make any mistakes. So I read this and I'm like, God is unfair. The bar is too high. I can never accomplish this. That's not what the word means. A better way to translate the word is be undivided, be whole, be complete, or walk undivided before your Lord. You see, the word is less about actions and more about a state of your heart. It's less about the example that I, that I, I thought of. It's, we think perfect means a whiteboard that has no marks on it. That's what we think, a whiteboard with no marks. God says perfect, and he doesn't mean a whiteboard with no marks. He means a whiteboard that belongs entirely to me. You see the difference? We think in terms of it has to be without any blemish. And God says, that's not what, I'm, that's not what this means. Be perfect doesn't mean that you don't have any marks on it, but it means the board belongs to me. It means that your heart is not divided. It means that you're not serving two masters. It means that I'm the goal and the direction of your life. I'm the aim that you're going for, and you are perfect. You are complete. You are whole in that one direction. And we might have some marks along the way, but as long as the board belongs to me and it's not half me and half someone else, it's not splitting time with me and the job or splitting time with me and your lusts, as long as the board belongs entirely to me, then we'll be okay. And that was Abraham. God didn't speak clearly to Abraham because Abraham was sinless. We already saw Abraham made many mistakes and we're gonna see some more. God didn't speak to Abraham because he was sinless. God spoke to Abraham because he was whole he was undivided, he was complete in his adoration, his dedication, and his commitment to God. Here's our key thought for today. Being perfect isn't about having no sin, it's about having an undivided heart. Being perfect isn't about having no sin, it's about having an undivided heart. That's who Abraham was. Did Abraham have sin? Yes, but why did God bless him? Why did God speak to him? Why did God choose him to be the father of nations? Not because he had no sin, but because he had an undivided heart. His aim was fully God. Keep that key thought in mind as we read Abraham's story from today. today. Pick up where we left off last week. For those who were here last week, we left off in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham was outside standing under the stars and God told him to count all the stars if you can. And Abraham tried his best all night long. He tried to count them. And then God said to him, you see all those number of stars that you see? You, Abraham, had started to doubt that he would ever have a son of his own or he'd ever have any children. And Abraham said to God, how come God, I'm serving you and you leave me. I don't have no kids. And someone that is born in my house is not even my own flesh is gonna be my, the heir of my inheritance. And God said, no, no, no. Look at the stars, count them. That's gonna be your inheritance. And what God told Abraham was never limit an infinite God with finite thinking. Never limit an infinite God with finite thinking. And as I said earlier, Abraham, don't let your logic limit me. Because I'm not against logic, but I am above logic. And that's where we left off the story last week. Abraham 
did what he was supposed to do. Abraham got the message. So Abraham, this was Genesis 15, ended last week, ended Genesis 15 with what thought in his mind? The thought in his mind was, I'm 100% sure that God is gonna work, that God is gonna give me a child from my own body. That was the exact promise, from your own body. So Abraham left Genesis 15, I'm gonna have a child from my own body. And I'm sure, and how Abraham, I don't know, but God's gonna work in an illogical way or an above logical way. And God is gonna work in a weird way that I'll never be able to figure out. That's how Abraham left. You all with me in Abraham's mindset. God is gonna work in a way that no one could ever imagine. You with me? Let's read Genesis chapter 16. Keep that mindset. Verse one, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. What are you thinking if you're Abraham? Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you, God. Like, God worked. Like last week, I counted the stars. God is above logic. God will work in a weird way you could never predict. And now all of a sudden I show up and my wife is telling me, take the maid, go into her. Thank you, Lord. Like truly the Lord is great in all his ways and truly to be praised and glorified. Abraham, all the men are like, are we allowed to laugh at that? <laughs> You're Abraham. You're Abraham. What do you want me to do? I'm Abraham. I tried to obey God. I'm trying to obey, and I made my mistakes. I learned my lesson. I was very rude to Sarah with that whole Egypt, like she's my sister, take her. I was bad with that. I repented of that. I'm not gonna do anything like that ever again. I wanna walk in the right way, and I wanna do what's right. Sure, it's crossed my mind before that I could have children by Hagar, because that was the way of the world at the time. Okay, the way of the world was, it was no problem for a man to have many wives, and if a man didn't have children from his first wife, he would just get rid of her and get another wife. So that was like totally not wrong and not bad. That was the way of the world. And Abraham, for sure that thought had crossed his mind, but Abraham said, no, 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 no. I don't wanna do that because that's wrong. And God didn't command that. And I hurt Sarah so much with that whole Egypt sister thing. I can't do, like I can't go to Sarah and be like, good news, we're gonna have the promise, but you're out the picture. Hagar in, you out, stage left. I can't do that to Sarah. And then Sarah comes and suggests this. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you want me to do? Sarah comes and suggests, like, this is like the Pope offering you a cheeseburger on Good Friday when you're fasting. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Like, she's the one offering it. Like, I didn't say to her, like, hey, like, she's the one offering it. Abraham, trying to do his best, trying to obey God. God, I trust you're going to work. And then Sarah walks in, and look, Sarah even did it spiritual. She's just spiritual. See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So Sarah's saying, like, I submit to the ways of the Lord. So poor Abraham says, okay. And Abraham thinks, this is like win, 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 win. I get children. Sarah's happy because this was her idea. And I get to show, you know, the, the rest of the service. I still, the old man still got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is win, 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 win all around. Next verse. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. 
Oops. You ever had one of those moments where you're like, sure, something is a really good idea. Like, this is a really good idea. Like, what could go wrong? One of those kind of moments. And then it happens. And then you wish you could rewind. Because how could you not have seen this one coming, Abraham? What happens is, Abraham obeys, heeds the voice of his wife, Sarah, and then he goes in, and then Sarah all of a sudden, and Hagar, it's not as smooth as Abraham had thought it might go, and it's actually about to get a little bit worse as well. Here's where I want to pause the story for one minute. If you've ever had, like I said, a decision which you are sure of, and then later turned out it was the wrong decision, a job that like, I know God wants me to take this job, and you take it and it's the worst decision ever. A decision that you were like, I'm positive this is from God. And then later find out that it was the exact opposite of what God wanted you to do. The important point I believe that we can learn here from Abraham and Sarah is that the key to hearing God's voice is having no agenda. The key to hearing God's voice is truly having no agenda, being in neutral, fully surrendered, that whatever God says, I'm going to say, okay. But when you go in with an agenda, you'll find problems. You know why? Because we as human beings, we are great at deceiving ourselves. We are experts at deceiving ourselves. We can convince ourselves of anything we want. I've told you this before. You tell me what you want to do, and I will find you a Bible verse to support you. You tell me what you want to do, and I will find you a way to justify. We're great at deceiving ourselves. I'm sure Sarah was like, I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you. But in her heart, she's like, you know, we got to have a kid by the end of this year. It's got to be by the end of this year. Okay? I trust you whenever, Lord, but it's got to be by the end of this year because the biological clock is ticking and, and Abraham's not getting any younger and I'm not getting any younger. So it's got to be by the end of this year. So, Lord, we trust you with whatever, but it's got to be by the end of this year. And then all of a sudden, she has this feeling. What if it's Hagar? No, 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 it can't be. We trust you, Lord. But she already put the idea in her mind. And then she finishes her time of prayer. And Hagar's right in front of her. From God. Got to be from God. No, 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 no. And then she prays and she prays. And she looks up at the clouds. And it looked like an H. Got to be from God. <laughs> it's not hard to convince ourselves of whatever it is that we want. I hear the dumbest things people say to try to convince themselves that a relationship is from God. No, you don't understand. Because if I had his last name, it would just rhyme. Like, it would be perfect. Like, our last names are so close. It's got to be from God. No, 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 no. This job is truly from God because God wants me to triple my income because God wants me to give more. And even though, yeah, I might be a greedy person, I'm too materialistic, I'm sure this is from God. We convince ourselves whatever it is that we want to convince ourselves. I'm telling you, I told you all this story one time. True story. True story. Happened a couple years ago. I'm in an airport. And the flight is delayed forever because if I'm on the flight, it's going to be delayed. I'm the Jonah of all airplanes, okay? I'm on it, delayed, throw me overboard, everything's fine. And I'm in the airport, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And there's this group of, like, college girls or whatever, maybe a little bit older, graduate students, whatever. And one of them came over to me and said to me, you a priest? I said, yes, I'm a priest. They said, I have a question for you. Am I supposed to do, should I do something that's really hard if God wants me to do it? If God wants me to do something that's really hard, should I do it? And the natural answer you would say is, never, ever, ever say yes. No, you don't say yes, because I asked, what are you talking about? True story. She was convinced. She was on her way to Washington, D.C. to kill the wife of her boyfriend. And she truly believed that God wanted her to do that. If God wants me to do something difficult, should I do it? 
She had convinced herself that God wanted her to do it. She had truly convinced herself of that. You will never hear God's voice if you got an agenda. You will never hear God's voice. You will only hear your own. So the key in hearing the voice of God in any area is no agenda. I'm neutral. I go left, I'll go right. I'll go forward, I'll go back. I'll sit, I'll stand. Whatever God wants, I will never say no. You know, there's a great book that's out there. It's called Whatever God. It's a fantastic book, okay? <laughs> Which, that's actually the premise of the book. The whole point of the book is that what it talks about in the beginning, the book starts off with like a conversation between the author and his wife where he's like, whatever. No, she's, uh, she starts saying whatever, question mark. Then he says, yes, whatever. Whatever, yes, whatever. Whatever God says, we won't say no. And the first chapter is called The Power of Whatever. And I like the book so much, I got a little excerpt right here because it's just so well written. <laughs> saying whatever to God will open new doors of blessing and unlock hidden treasures that God wants to pour into your life. God had a plan for my life but I just couldn't see it all those years. It wasn't until I accepted his plan, even though I didn't know what it would contain at the time. That's the important part. It wasn't until I accepted, even though I didn't know what it would contain at the time, that he started to reveal it to me. And I'd be lying if I said I got it all figured out now, not even close. God will continue to reveal more and more of his plan as long as I continue to say whatever to it. God needs neutral, a leaf, a leaf in the wind. To me, that's neutral. If the wind pushes me left, the wind pushes me right, if the wind knocks me down, that's what God needs. But too many of us, we have our agenda, and we're going this way means we're going this way. And we try this, and the door's closed. So then we try over here, and that's closed. So then we try over here, and we ask this priest, and this priest says no. So we go over here to a new priest, we tell him a different story. We go over here, then we search this verse, and we finally found a verse that supports us. And you can convince yourself of anything that you want, but the key to hearing God's voice is being in neutral. There's two parts to discerning God's voice. There's desire and technique. There's desire, your desire to truly hear, and the technique that you use. 90% of hearing God's voice is your desire. 10% is the technique. The prayers, the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. 90% is desire, 10% is technique. We spend 90% of our time focused on the technique and only 10% of our time focused on the desire. We spend 90% of our time saying, what prayer should I say? What psalm? What passage in the Bible? And what should I do? And we worry so much about the technique. And I'm telling you, if the desire is pure, if you have a pure desire to hear the voice of God and to obey the voice of God, whatever it says, then I promise you God will find a way to speak to you. I promise you that he will speak to you loud and clear and you will know the will of God when you truly are in neutral. Let me give you some verses here to back it up. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You see, the focus of all these verses is not on action, but on heart. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart again, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Last one. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I love this verse in particular. Because this verse reminds me that I'm a sheep, he's a shepherd. Whose responsibility is it to make sure that the sheep hear the voice? It's the shepherd's. My job is just to be a dumb sheep and just to keep walking. And then the shepherd says, like it's not a game of hide and seek is what I'm trying to say. It's not like the shepherd would be like, try and find me if you can. See if you can catch me. Like it's not that. It's the shepherd. It's his desire to lead the sheep. That's why I'm saying it's all about your desire because I'm telling you, God wants you to hear his voice. Parents, you get this. God wants you to hear his voice more than you want to hear his voice. No child wants the voice of his parent more than the parent wants it for the child himself. So 
So God wants you to hear his voice. And if you truly want to hear the voice of God, then I promise you, if that desire is pure, it's just a matter of time. Take a little bit of patience. Take some prayer for sure. Take some time in the scripture. Be patient, wise counsel. See what open doors God provides. But I promise you, the shepherd will always find a way to speak to the sheep. So therefore, if you are struggling to hear the voice of God, maybe the disconnect is on your end, not on his. Maybe it's not that he's not speaking. Maybe it's not that he is leaving you by yourself. Maybe it's you're not neutral. Maybe you're driving hard right. Or maybe, you know what? Every time he gives you something in that direction, you ignore, you ignore. So you don't pick up the phone when I call and then you complain that I don't talk to you. But I call and you don't pick up the phone because you don't like what I'm gonna say on the other side. Maybe the disconnect is on the desire part here and not on the leading part there. Let's go back to Sarah. God wanted to lead Abraham and Sarah, but the problem is they had an agenda. So because they had an agenda, they heard what they wanted to hear and they got themselves in this mess. And the situation gets worse for Abraham. Pick up back in verse five. So, so Sarah and Hagar having this drama between them. Then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. My wrong be upon you. And all the husbands said, huh? What? Abraham's like, what? I just listened to what you said. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Sarah blames him. Reminiscent a little bit of Adam and Eve, right? Like when God came and spoke to Eve, Eve was like, well, you know, he's the one. And then, Eve, and then Adam was like, well, she's the one. And then, oh, the serpent's the one, okay? Why, the only reason I point that out is to say that oftentimes we do the exact same thing. We blame God for not guiding us, but we never blame ourselves for not truly praying in sincerity. We blame God for the bad decision that we made. God, how could you give me such a job that would ruin my life like this? We don't blame ourselves for being greedy and materialistic and seeking things of this world. Sarah made her own bed, now she has to lay in it, and so does Abraham. Verse six, and Abraham said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abraham puts his hands up and says, you do whatever you want with Hagar. And Sarah deals harshly with her, and Hagar flees. Our focus is on Abraham, so let's focus specifically on Abraham. How do you think Abraham felt when Hagar left? Put yourself in his shoes. Abraham, I told you, started the story today, just five verses ago, six verses ago, by saying God is going to provide God's going to answer in a miraculous way. A son from my own body is going to be my heir and is going to be, I'm going to be the father of nations through a son from my own body. And then the Hagar situation happens and now a son from my own body is here. And then he goes. What are you thinking if you're Abraham? If I was Abraham, I'd be thinking, I blew it. That was my golden opportunity and I blew it. I blew it. Like God gave me a golden opportunity right in front of me and he was going to bless me and give me a child. And there goes that child right out the door. Abraham didn't have any reason to believe that he was gonna get a second chance. And by this time, it's actually like a third or fourth chance to be honest. Abraham didn't have any, like he knew that a child can come from his own body. 
And he thought that was the answer to prayer. And then she gets shipped out. So this is tough for Abraham. God, because he's God, knows that it's not Hagar's fault that Abraham, like Hagar's kind of the innocent bystander here and her poor child. Like Abraham is now a pregnant woman that's shipped off into the wilderness and she's about to be a single mom with nothing. Okay, so God, as he always does, like there's consequences to our sin, but God has a way to intervene when it's most needed. So God comes to Hagar, okay, and deals with her in a compassionate way. And he says this, okay, the angel of the Lord said to her, speaking to Hagar, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. So God sends Hagar back to Abraham and Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. And he gives her this promise about you're going to be the mother of many nations as well and your child would be blessed in a different kind of a way. So Hagar bore Abraham a son and Abraham named his son and Abraham named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So here's pretty much the end of the story as far as Abraham is concerned is that I had my chance Caused a lot of drama. At least I got Ishmael. I'll take it. I'm happy. I'll take Ishmael. I could have had the chance to be something really, really, really great. But I guess I blew it. And Abraham is now 86 years old. Abraham is 86 years old at the end of chapter 16. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old. Abraham was 99 years old. How old was he in the last one? Last chapter? 86. How many years passed between 16 and 17? 13 years. What happened during those 13 years? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing happened. Just like Abraham had a 15-year pause earlier, if you remember, for those who were here in week one and week two, Abraham has a 13-year pause here. But this time, he has no reason to believe that there's ever going to be anything that's going to be different. As far as he's concerned, that's it. Like, Ishmael is the answer. And now Ishmael is one, and then he's two, and then he's seven, and then he's 12, and now Ishmael's 13. So he's pretty much, and now Abraham is 99 years old. Like, we were really stretching it when he was 80 years old or 85 years old, but now, come on, a 99-year-old man, I gotta change diapers. 99-year-old man should be in diapers. Like, <laughs> and Abraham has a child, but there's kind of this dark cloud hanging over the household. Like, Sarah, like, every time she sees him, she's kind of bitter. And Abraham, like every time he looks at him, he's like, well, he's great, but what could have been? And if me and you are in Abraham's shoes, we're thinking, I had a chance to be great. But I blew it. But I'll just take what I got and live in peace. But I wish. And I, and I could have. And then we see what happens next. God is going to speak to Abraham at age 99 after that whole episode that I just tell you. And look at what God says to Abraham at age 99 after that mistake, 13 years of silence. Look what God says. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. We're going to come back to that passage. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make a covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. 
Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That is not what I was expecting after 13 years of silence. If you make a mistake and you do something to offend me and I don't talk to you for 13 years, 13 years, and I come to you after 13 years and I finally see you, what are you expecting I'm going to say? What are you expecting I'm going to say? You made a mistake 13 years. I turned my back on you, at least as far as you're concerned. God never really turns his back, but as, as far as you can see it, 13 years, I turned my back. And then finally I turned around. And you're thinking what? Oh, Lord. Here comes the hammer. Rebuke. Lecture. You were wrong. What were you thinking? How could you? You lost. Like, you're expecting something not good. And what did you end up with? Blessing. The best blessing of all. Every time God appeared to Abraham, he gave him a better blessing. In the beginning, he told him, leave your land. I'm going to give you a new land. After that, God told him that I'm going to make you a great nation out of you. And now he comes even more specifically. And he says, you will be the father to many. And he gave him a new promise. He gave him a new name. He told him his inheritance is going to own this land for generations to come. And God upped the blessing and upped the promise. Why? Why, after Abraham made a mistake, did he get a better promise? Why? Well, let's go back to that first verse that I told you we're going to come back to. The first thing God said to him, he said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Blameless is that word that I told you at the very beginning, tamim. Remember tamim? And tamim, blameless, means without sin? No, it means undivided. And here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham made mistakes, absolutely. But Abraham never had a divided heart. Abraham never sought anything other than God. And in fact, some of his mistakes was that he kind of sought God too much. He believed in God too much and he was impatient. No, I know God is gonna give me a child. I know God's gonna give me a child. So Hagar, let's go. And I know God is not gonna let us die in this famine. So let's go to Egypt. Like he kind of believed in God too much and that's why he made his mistakes. And those are mistakes for sure. But his problem was never a divided heart. He was always 100% focused. Lot had a divided heart. Lot wanted God, but he also wanted to be rich. Terah was divided, his father. Terah wanted to serve this God and this God and this God. But Abraham, no, I serve one God and that God only. And I made mistakes along the way because we all make mistakes. But he was complete. He was perfect, undivided in his heart. And you know this because when God says to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, Abraham doesn't excuse himself. Abraham doesn't start to justify himself. Abraham doesn't start to say, well, it was Sarah's fault and she's the one who said. And Abraham doesn't say, well, how what am I supposed to know? And you left me here. Abraham doesn't do any of that stuff. All the stuff that we do. What did Abraham do when God appeared to him and said, be blameless? He fell on his face. He fell on his face because that's what blameless means. That's what perfect means. It means someone fully submitted, wholly submitted, to God. How can you tell if you are being blameless? Like what's the key to being blameless, to being undivided? That's the first half of the verse, is the walk before me. And because Abraham loved the walk before me part, then the undivided blameless part came natural. What I mean by that? What I mean is when he says walk before me, what God is commanding Abraham, he commands all of us, is that the goal is to walk in life before the Lord. Meaning that knowing that everywhere we go, God is with us. 
And God is looking over our shoulder. And some of us, we look at it in a wrong way. We look at it in a negative way. That God is always with us. God is always with us in a bossy way. God is always with us in a restricting way. God is always with us in like a telling me what to do kind of a way. So we resist that and we walk away from God. But Abraham didn't see God's hand as bossy or restrictive or controlling. He saw it as blessing and guiding and protecting. Think of the kid playing in, in the front yard and he knows his parents are watching. And then the ball rolls in the street. So what does he do? Mom, can I go get the ball? And then he's playing the ball rolls in the street and he doesn't see his parents around. What does he do? If there's no parents around, what's he gonna do? He'll run in the street and go grab it. That's what walk before me and be blameless means. It only takes a second. It only takes a second. Forgetting the parents' presence for one second is all it takes to make a major disastrous mistake for this child. And the same thing with us with God. One of the church fathers, who I don't remember who it was that said it, said that sin is forgetfulness of God. That's what sin is. Like Abraham sinned. Did Abraham sin because he was bad? No, Abraham sinned because he had a momentary forgetting of God. You and me, we sin. And sometimes you look back on yourself and you're like, what was I thinking? How could I be so dumb? And like, I committed the worst mistake. You know the answer? I tell you the answer. How you could commit such a bad mistake, how I could commit such a bad mistake is because for a moment, as brief as it may be, all it takes is a moment of forgetting God's presence, of forgetting that God is with us. That's all it takes to fall into sin and to make a major mistake. And just like that boy, only took one second. He didn't see his parents, ran the street, got hit by a car, and that was a major disaster. Only takes one second for us to forget God's presence, to make a big mistake that could have lifelong consequences. God will never cease to speak to him who is ready to listen. God will never cease to speak to him who is always ready to listen. God will never cease to speak, to guide, to lead. The one who is always ready to listen, who says, God, we're going into work and I'm not going alone. You're with me. What do you want me to do when I go to work? The one who says, God, I'm going into, the, 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 I'm going to this party on Friday night and I don't want to go alone. You're coming with me. So what do you want me to do when I get to this party? God will never cease to speak to the one who is always willing to listen. And our problem is we forget God. This is why, for example, the church tells us things like, don't just pray in the morning and at night, but it's good to pray throughout your day. It's good to wear a cross around your neck, not just for protection from the bad guys when the devil appears, it's not like that. It's to remind myself that Christ is with me everywhere I go and to remind myself of the great name which is called upon me. This is why the church teaches, like a lot, a lot of our parents, okay, that generation, they get in the car and they do like this. Okay, they get out of the car and they do like this. They yawn and they do like this. Like, that, that's fine. It's not, it's not mandatory, but it's a good to remind yourself throughout your day that you are not walking alone, that God is walking with you. And for some of us, that's like a scary thought because we kind of don't want him to see, but that's actually the key to a successful life of hearing and discerning the voice of God is knowing that God is always willing to speak to the one who's always ready to listen. We're gonna stop the story of Abraham there today. There go, more goes on, you can read it when you go home. I wish I had more time to kind of go through every detail of Abraham, but we'd be like a 15 week series there if we did that. The rest of chapter 17 is great, but we're gonna kind of finish right here. But I wanna call your attention to this. There comes a point in time in everyone's life, there comes a point in time in everyone's life where God, like he did with Abraham, tries to draw you near 
Let's say higher. How about that? Tries to draw you higher. That God says, you're great where you are, but I want to take you higher. You're doing fine, but there's higher. And God calls you to higher. And every time God wants to call you to higher, you must realize that God will always come and call you higher through a challenge or a difficult command. And the one who wants to be blessed like Abraham must be willing to obey like Abraham. And the one who wants to be blameless in his heart must be ready to walk before God the way Abraham did. And you can't have one without the other. I think to myself of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden before the fall. They walked with God. And then they fell and they lost God's presence. They no longer walked with God. If you asked Adam and Eve, what was your life, what was your life like when you had God's presence around you 24-7? Look how miserable that must have been. And God always around you and God always over your shoulder and God always and God always and God always. And then finally, you broke free from the old man. And finally, you left the garden. You were free to do what you want. Is that how they'd look at it? Is that how they see that as, as a great victory that took place? Eventually, they got their freedom, but it wasn't a good thing. And I'm telling you that God's presence in our life, God walk before me, is the key to being blameless, undivided. I'll give you this verse that I showed you in the beginning. Okay, this is kind of the theme verse for me for Abraham. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. In between the seats, all around run to and fro to find a heart that he can bless, to find a heart that's fully undivided, a heart that's, that, that's perfect, a heart that wants nothing other than him. And when God finds that heart, man. You see, the nature of God, God is like, you know what God is like? God and his blessing is like an unused scholarship. You know, an unused scholarship, like the, 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 I have a scholarship I want to give out, and I'm just looking. Someone take my scholarship. Like someone use this. Someone get the, get the, get the grades right. Someone get the essay right. So, like I'm trying to give a blessing is what God is trying to say. And I'm here, and I want to bless you, and I want to bless you, and I want to bless you, and I want to bless you. I want to bless your home. I want to bless your relationships. I want to bless your career. Like I want to bless. That's my nature. God's nature is blessing. If you cut God open, just, it's, it's like, a, like the slot machine. Like the quarters run out, blessing just runs out. Okay, if you cut God open, blessing just pours out everywhere. But he can only pour it in a heart that is fully dedicated and loyal to him. This is the point in your life. This is the point in your life where God wants to take you higher. But he's looking for hearts. And I'm asking you, what is he going to find today in these seats when he comes and looks at these hearts? What is he going to find? Is he going to find a heart that says, whatever, God? Is he going to find a heart that says, you know what? I'll do whatever, God, but you're not allowed to touch this area of my life. Now, this relationship is this not for you. No, 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 I, I can't forgive that situation. Oh, you know, you know I, th this, this is just a time in my life, God. Like, what's God going to find when he comes searching to bless you and your heart and your home and your family? Is he going to find hearts that are loyal to him? No, no stop to the blessing. But if there's divided hearts, God can't work there. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. And I'm asking you today to look inside your heart and see what God will find. It's never too late to get the blessing of God. Abraham is 99 years old, 99 years old. And the good stuff is about to come. Next week, we're gonna start to see all the stuff that we thought we'd see from the beginning. All the answers and all the children will start to see Isaac and all that stuff. 
But that, it's the heart that leads to all that stuff. My prayer is that all of us would have an undivided heart that God could truly bless. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your desire is to bless us, and that you want to walk with us 24 hours a day and seven days a week, not to condemn us or judge us, but to bless us, to guide us, and to lead us into the path that you know leads to life. Lord, I pray for my heart and the hearts of every one of your children who is standing before you, that you would help us to see the areas which are inside there, Lord, which are divided, the areas which are like not fully dedicated to you. And I pray, Lord, that, that today, Lord, some people can make like a fresh start, that we can wholly dedicate our hearts to you once again. And we know, Lord, that if we do that, there's no limit to what you'll do in our lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much.